don't uh, partake in it just yet. So here's what we're going to do. Um, Lord spoke some specific things for today. Might stretch you a little bit, but that's a good thing. Um, so we, uh, we're going to, we've just had this burden on like gospel, kingdom, bringing clarity. We're going we're gonna to preach the kingdom of God, and then we're going to go do the kingdom of God. Okay? We have uh, two people who were mainstays since the beginning of this place. Uh, before most of us were even here, uh, Larry and Teresa, you probably know uh, them just because they're constantly selflessly serving in this place. Um, Teresa's usually making the coffee and everything. Uh, so Larry has had uh, cancer for about 12 years, something like that. Um, uh, it's not doing good right now. So they live like right over there. So the Lord said, um, I want you to go worship on their front lawn. So we're going we're gonna to go praise on their front lawn. We're going to send a few people in to pray over them and anoint them. And then I want to unleash some of my evangelists, which is all of us, should be, right? But uh, I want to, what, what an easy way to just go even on their block and knock on some doors and say, hey, your neighbor over there, I don't know if you know him, but um, going through some, some health stuff. Uh, we're from the church. We're just, Lord said to come and encourage them through worshiping on their front lawn. Front lawn. Want to invite you to do the same with us and probably open some doors to some great conversations about Jesus and the gospel. Amen. Um, and we're just going to bring the kingdom of God to their front lawn. How's that sound? All right. So uh, they have wanted, asked us to maybe wait until probably about 11 or a little after. So um, we're going to teach the kingdom here for a little bit so we can kind of set our hearts right and, and go do kingdom right afterwards. Cool? All right. If you got your Bibles, open to Mark. Uh, for some of you that were here Friday, some of this stuff might be repetitive, um, and we may even do it more than just this, but I felt like the Lord was like, you need to be crystal clear and repetitive about the gospel of King Jesus, okay? So we're going to keep doing this over and over and over again, and if there's one thing that we maybe are doing too much, then let's have it be clarifying the gospel of King Jesus, amen? So, I'm not talking to that quick. Check. One, two. Um, why don't you stand with me if you can. Hold your Bibles up. Um, we're just, we're engaging the Holy Word of the Lord, so let's set our hearts right. Repeat after me. Say, Father, Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit we, believe we believe this is your holy, is your holy written, word, written Word, and we commit to obey, commit to obey the words that we're about to read. Amen. Um, okay. We're going to kind of pass this back and forth a little bit, but I'm just going to, I want to lead us in here with just, give me 10 minutes or so to kind of set the stage. So um, again, some of this might be repetitive from Friday if you were here, but there's a very sad statistic that Barna Group has done. Anybody you know Barna Group? They do 
very reputable statistical data group, okay? So they, they have done statistics on those who make a profession of faith in Jesus, and they found that somewhere between two to five percent of them actually last. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second, okay? Two to five percent of professions of faith to King Jesus are actually lasting. Meaning, and, and they do it from a statistical standpoint of like a year later, two later, how many, how many of those people are actively involved in the faith and they have some metrics that, you know, whether you agree with them or not, they're, they're a way of trying to define it, okay? And they found that roughly two to five percent of those who make a profession of faith actually have it last long term. Begs the question, why? <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know, for me, I'm like, why, why, why would that be so bad, right? I've used this example Friday night, like, if I'm, if I'm sowing seeds, if I sow 100 seeds, and two to five of them sprout up, or, sorry, let's say 100 of them sprout up, but only two to five actually are lasting. <laughs> the rest of them die off. You'd probably call me a pretty bad farmer, right? You'd probably say there's something wrong with what I'm doing because it's not working, right? And I think, unfortunately, in the church today, like, we should celebrate the two to five percent, but we've got to take a hard look at like why that is. And I would maybe argue and challenge today and some things that we want to talk about is like, I don't think we're actually preaching the full gospel. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing people not actually last in the faith is because the gospel they're committing to is not actually either in part or in whole the gospel of King Jesus. Does that make sense? So we want to kind of put some verbiage and some language to what that is, but um, we live in like a, a microwave society where like we want to be able, we don't want to do the work. If I was to ask you what the gospel is, we want to be able to, for me to give you one verse and you take it and go, awesome, here's my verse, this is the gospel, I don't have to worry about it. Which do you realize? I don't know about you, but my gospel says, I open to Mark. At the top of it, it says, the gospel according to Mark. Let's just read from here, okay? The gospel according to Mark. Go to verse 14 and 15. This is in chapter 1, okay? John the Baptist has come. He's proclaiming there's one greater. And in verse 14 and 15, which, by the way, the word gospel means good news. I said this Friday night. Essentially, when they proclaimed gospel, it's a military thing. They would go out. A king would send out an army. They would go. If there was a conquering victory, they would send out a messenger to come back, and he would ride in, and he would yell and scream and say, gospel, 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 which meant there's a victory to proclaim. And I'm about to tell you what that victory is. So when they say gospel, this is the gospel. It's the good news. There is good news of a victory. Right? So when this is the gospel according to Mark, it's the good news of a victory according to Mark. Okay? And in verse 14 it says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? The gospel of God. Our ears should go up, right? So he's about to tell you some gospel things. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. Can I ask you a question? Why, why does it not just stop there? Like, has he not told you 
what the good news is? Why don't we just cut the book off right there? If we have our gospel, our one verse gospel, like he says, hey, time's fulfilled. Kingdom of God's here. Repent and believe. Why is there the whole rest of the book? Because it's not just limited to this one verse. He's telling you the gospel according to Mark is this entire book that I'm about to give you. <laughs> Which means that in order for Mark to communicate properly what the gospel and the good news was, he needed an entire book to do so. <laughs> Which means that everything inside of Mark's gospel is Mark telling you this is what gospel is. And when Matthew gives you the gospel, that's Matthew's whole book to tell you this is the gospel, the good news, according to what I saw in Matthew. It doesn't just stop at this one verse because we have this microwave society that says, I want one verse, give me my one verse gospel, I've got it, good, now I can go out. Mark took an entire book of the Bible to tell you what the good news is. We can't just stop at one verse because we're too lazy to actually like want to wrap our heads around all of it, right? Does that make sense? And so my charge to you today is that I think where the danger comes in of why we see people who are falling away from quote unquote the faith or maybe never actually entered in is because we have tried to just do a cookie cutter gospel that one makes people feel good, two doesn't tell them what the cost is, and three is very easy to just spit out in a sentence. When Mark didn't do that. Mark took an entire book of the Bible to tell you what gospel is, right? So Mark's charge is that from here on out, he's saying the good news has come. The rest of the book is me telling you what the good news is. So every part of this Bible or of this gospel, when he tells you Jesus healed a demon, that's part of the gospel. When, it, when he tells you that the, the woman with blood was healed, that's gospel. When Jesus died on a cross and rose again, this is gospel. When he teaches about the, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount and all the different things, this is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we can't just limit it to our one sentence because it's easy. We have to take it in and drink it, that it's all the gospel. It's all of what is encompassed in that word. Does that make sense? And I think we get into trouble when you do things and, like we pluck a verse that says, which, you know, I saw this Friday night. Have you ever noticed when, when you're looking in scripture, there's the gospel and the response to the gospel, okay? And we many times will, well, I'm gonna put, I'll turn this back. Have you ever noticed that when people are asking the question, what must I do to be saved, which is the response to the gospel, um, do any of you get uncomfortable by the fact that there's a lot of different answers, <laughs> right? And honestly, if someone asked me today, hey, what must I do to be saved, and I recited word for word some of Jesus' responses, you would probably throw me out for heresy. Like, let's just be, call it what it is. You would say you're a works-based blah 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 you're not preaching grace. Let's just call it what it is, right? And sometimes I think this is because we don't take the full gospel, which we pluck a verse that says, uh, you know, you have to believe. Let's take this one, okay? The gospel is, look, I read a verse. I must believe. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That's the gospel. Awesome. Demons believe. They believe. They tremble. You're not even trembling, right? So we pluck a verse and say, which by the way, this is part of gospel, okay? But we pluck the verse, not realizing that the rest of the gospels, the rest of the Bible, Paul's works, James's works, all these things paint the picture of what the response should be. 
And we pluck a verse and we'd say, here's your response to the gospel. And someone says, great, well, I mentally agree that Jesus is the son of God. I must be a believer. That's awesome. I go on my way. I don't change. I'm still bound in sin. I have no power. This whole thing's a fraud. I guess I'll walk away from the faith because it's not actually doing anything for me. Right? Jesus' responses were things like, you got to sell everything. Come follow me. You need to leave your father and mother. You need to repent and be baptized. You need to believe in me as the son of God. Right? There's a, there's a ton of different responses. Why is that? Because it's all getting at this idea of, and, and part of it is the disconnect between what belief and faith actually is in the Bible, but it's all getting at an idea of a king that has come and us needing to give our allegiance to that king. Okay? And when we give our allegiance to that king, all these things make sense. It makes sense why he told the rich young ruler, you got to sell everything and come follow me because he's attacking his allegiance. He's saying, you're saying you want to follow me. You have to count the cost, right? But you're not actually willing to follow me. You're st you still want to enthrone yourself as king of your life and not actually King Jesus. And he's saying, for you, the attack on kingship is your wealth. For you, the attack on lordship is your family. All these things are hitting at the heart of the gospel, which is encompassed in so many different things. Is this making sense? Sorry, I'm kind of just going. But here's my claim today as we read the gospels. The gospels are both a declaration and an invitation. I'm going to read through this, and then I would encourage you. I'm going to read through it again. I think write it down. I don't have a, a slide for it, but I'm going to read it the first time, then we'll read it again. The gospels are both a declaration and an invitation. A declaration of the kingdom of heaven invading earth through the one true high priest and king, Jesus the Christ. It's an invitation to the hearer to participate in this kingdom both now and in the age to come through allegiance to King Jesus. Okay? I'm going to read that again. The Gospels are a declaration and an invitation. When you read this, it's declaring something and it's inviting you to something. It's a declaration that heaven and the kingdom of heaven is invading earth. And it's doing this through the priestly high king, Jesus Christ. And it's an invitation to you, the hearer, to participate in this kingdom. And that comes through giving your allegiance to the king. Okay? So when we read the verse in Mark, why is there the rest of the book? Because the rest of the book is a freight train of the power of heaven. It's showing you the power of heaven coming down to earth, and it's inviting you to participate in it. Okay? So when Jesus cast out demons, he's inviting you to cast out demons. When Jesus heals the sick, he's inviting you to heal the sick. When Jesus tells you the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's inviting you into gospel, which is loving your neighbor as yourself, right? When he dies and resurrects, he's inviting you into his death and his resurrection. The whole gospel and the whole book of Acts and the whole Bible is an invitation. It's an invitation to participate in the things that you are reading, okay? And, I, and by the way, um, spoiler alert, we are not a cessationist church for those of you that know the word, uh, I believe that when we read this, this Bible, the purpose of reading it is because it's inviting you to actually participate in the very things. It's not a history book. It is, because it's true, 
but it is an invitation. It's not left on the pages of this book. It's saying to you, the hearer, if you will submit to Jesus as the king, you get now a transfer of the power and the authority of the very king himself to engage in the things that he engaged in with the same power and authority. And so that way, when he says, I will put my spirit of the living God in you, when you walk out of these doors and you stomp down that street, the king himself is in you and you are spreading his power and authority down the street, down the block, on the doorsteps of Larry and Teresa's house, on every neighbor that you knock on, and that everything that Jesus did, he's inviting you into the same manner of spreading kingdom as he did. Why? Because that's how people get to experience kingdom and make a decision for themselves. So why are we going to do this before we go out? Because you need to understand the authority that you have as the king's son or daughter. What do you got, CJ? That was good. No. Um, as we begin to uh, dissect this a little bit more, I just want to remind you guys that um, the gospel, that the word of the Lord, uh, it's, it's countercultural. So it goes against everything that the world tells us uh, we should push towards. For examples, uh, the world says in order to, to be satisfied, we need uh, more of something in the world. When the Bible says that we actually need less of the world and more of him. Uh, in order to live your best life in the world, we have to, I guess, live more. The Bible says we actually have to die more. Um, and so in order to, the Bible says in order to be first, you have to be last. That doesn't make any sense in the world. That does sounds exact opposite of what the Bible says. And so it continues. The Bible is always countercultural. And so when you're preaching the gospel, it actually tells you you're not good enough on your own. You're not good enough in the world that you need a savior. And so the world says that we can earn our, our way into heaven by our good deeds. The Bible says the only way is Jesus Christ. And so as the world, so when you're preaching the gospel, when you're, when you're speaking scripture, you're actually, uh, you're actually waging war in a sense, waging war against your flesh, waging war against everything that you grew up thinking that you, well, the way that you were doing was right and the way that you were striving was right. And, and in reality, what the, what the gospel is saying is that you need to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And the only thing that you need to pick back up is your cross. And so always a reminder of the gospel when you pick up your cross. Luke 14 says that you cannot be my disciples unless you pick up your cross and follow me. And obviously, hopefully, a lot of you guys know that the cross uh, is not some pretty little charm or a necklace or on a bracelet or whatever. It actually is an instrument of death that says you need to die to everything of yourself and come to life, life in everything of Christ. And so as we, as we go through these slides, as we kind of paint this picture, um, the issue that we see with the partial gospel is that it actually, as the gospel is, is, is uh, countercultural, the partial gospel actually invites to become a subculture of this culture. And so it says, I don't want to hurt this person's feeling. I don't want to offend this person because I don't want to make them feel bad of their sin. So I'm going to water it down partially to make them feel good. And actually what you're doing and what a lot of the church has done is that we've actually become a subculture, not counterculture. And so we, we see these, these partial conversions that says, I want Jesus, but I also want to keep the things of my old life. 
And so you, we become this subculture. And so I want you guys to understand, with, and I pray boldness over you guys, not just for today, but when you go out and you are preaching the gospel, that we are doing it in love and out of the power of the Holy Spirit. But you have to understand that as you're doing it, even out of love and out of the Spirit, that you're actually waging a war against the flesh of people. And you're, and you're explaining what the gospel is, and it's, it's going to create agitation and resistance at times. And, of course, people are going to receive it. They're going to understand. Holy Spirit's going to move. But don't be afraid to speak the fullness, even if it agitates, even if it, 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 it creates this, this, this friction. But we just pray that hearts are available to receive. Soften, that the Lord soften hearts and opens eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Yeah, you ever noticed how um, in our culture we do everything we can to talk people into the gospel, and Jesus did everything he could to talk people out of the gospel. You notice this? He did everything he could to, to make them count the cost, and we do everything we can to, like, coax people in, right? And if I can talk you into it, I can talk you out of it. It's like, like, the, it's like the rich young ruler, uh, again, is that, uh, you know, go sell everything. You know, we think of this Jesus where he, he ran after him and was like, yeah, yeah, but if you, if you sow into the kingdom, you'll be blessed a hundredfold back to you type of thing. And so he, he did it. You don't really see him, although he does leave the 99 for the one. Yeah. In a sense, you don't see him chasing after people and trying to entice them, you know, of the blessing. If you give your life to Christ, this is what I can give you yeah. type of thing. Yeah. He, he tells them to count the cost. And even knowing in Scripture, again, if we're not just going to limit gospel and its response to a one verse that I can pluck out of Scripture, then it makes sense why if the gospel in its totality is about a king and our allegiance to the king, for that rich young ruler, that was the issue that needed to be addressed in order to actually for him to have allegiance, right? For Paul writing to the Romans, what was their issue? They were trying to attain this kingdom through works of the law. So Paul's charge to the Romans was, hey, it's not by your works of the law. It's by faith, which by the way, faith is pistis in Greek. Pistis is loyalty or allegiance. He's saying it's by faith and allegiance to a king. So he's attacking the works of the law mentality. For others, it was like, you know, fill in the blank about their, their family like we talked about. He always, in the encompassing gospel, this is why you gotta be careful just plucking a verse, is he's, he's speaking specific to the, to the person that he was addressing and the issue that was the stumbling block in the way of their allegiance to the king, okay? so. We, in totality, I'm going to go through some slides here. I don't want to just pluck one verse and say, see, here's the gospel. So my charge is, as I've read the Bible, you guys might recognize this from Friday night, as I've read the Bible and we've studied, this is my charge, is the story of the Bible and the gospel in particular. I would argue, read the, the text for yourself to see this in totality. Read the gospels and acts in themselves to read this in totality and to see it come out, okay? So um, what is gospel? Well, let me try to figure out how to do this first. You guys have heard me say this before. There's two desires that creator God had. He created heaven and earth. And his desires were, I'm going to flip and I'm actually going to say number two first. His desire was for a family. He wanted to create a family that he could dwell with in close relationship. Like intimate relationship, proximity, okay? And then he also wanted to establish a heavenly kingdom in his creation earth. And he wanted his creation to spread that kingdom, okay? And he actually gives you the authority to spread it. So in summary, God wanted to establish a heavenly kingdom on his creation earth. Even more so, he wanted to dwell with and in the midst of his creation. 
Creator God dwelling with created man as a close family commissioned to spread the rule and reign of the kingdom. Okay? God's requirement. And this is why in, in the verse, in, in like, this is from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. In Genesis 1, we see this. I mentioned this Friday night. Uh, when God says that we're made in his image and likeness, okay? Likeness had to do more with physical type appearance. Image in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, if something bore the image of something, and this is, we know this because we actually have unearthed uh, little like kingly idols that actually have this very phrase that says it bears the image and likeness of King Hadad Yidi or all these different things. And the further writing on it made very clear that when something, this thing that bore the image of a king, if they took this thing and I brought it with me to, if this is America, and I brought the image of the king of America to Canada, they actually believe that I carried not just the authority of that king, but wherever I took this thing, that meant that now the rule and reign of that king is in this place, wherever that little thing with, that bore the image of it went. What's that telling us? That when God says you're made in his image, he's saying, I'm giving you the authority of the king to rule and reign wherever you go as a, a son or daughter of the most high God. Now the very rule and reign of King Jesus or King Yahweh goes with you. Does that make sense? The requirement... And even, sorry, Genesis 1, Garden of Eden, right? This is proximity stuff. This is like God's creating a dwelling place. A seven-day, I could do a whole thing on Genesis 1, by the way. A seven-day uh, build in Genesis 1, again, throughout all ancient texts, when they did things in seven days, they were building temples. Every temple that was built in the ancient Near East that we have historical documents of was built, they had a seven, not actually literally, but the seven days represented the building of a temple or a dwelling place, and then on the last day, the deity would rest in that place as completion. So when he says seven days, we're building temple. We're building an idea of dwelling. We're building an idea of ruling and reigning, okay? So this is Genesis 1. The requirement, what does he say to them, though? You cannot be Lord of your life. You have to submit or give allegiance to Yahweh. I am God. You are not. I am creator. You are the created. You have to Submit to me as king in order for us to have these desires be held and the, and the perfect unity of the garden the way it was supposed to be, right? That's the requirement. The problem, man didn't want to do that. We rebelled and we said, no, I am going to place myself as king, as lord, which was an assault on God's kingship, saying we can do it better. And at that point, holy God and unholy man disrupted the two desires of the Lord. We couldn't dwell with him anymore in the way that we did. And we couldn't spread his kingdom anymore in the way that he desired us to spread his kingdom. Sorry, is that super, can you see that all right? Maybe, maybe not. So it disrupted that. You now have holy God, perfectly clean God, unholy man, unclean man, which is why there's issues that are addressed in the Bible uh, when you're talking about proximity, right? It's holy and unholy. Things get struck down when they come into holy that are unholy. And you have unclean. You know, like the woman with the issue of blood, which, by the way, this is a reversal. It's amazing that what he does, un unclean cannot touch clean. So when she touches Jesus' garment, she should have been done. <laughs> like, holy God, but this is a reversal in the Gospels and kingdom, that he now reverses it. Instead of being done, he, he heals her, right? Um, but now, those two things can't dwell together. So these issues are now 
Not able to be fully fulfilled the way God desires. The solution, solution number one, is a tabernacle. In the Old Testament, there was a tent or a tabernacle where the Lord dwelled. They had to have offerings of blood, purification rituals, so that they could have God dwell in their midst. Only certain people could go in in certain places closer to the, to the, the Holy of Holies. But if they did the right things, kept right sacrifices, God dwells in the midst, and it's a come and see thing. You're going to come and see the gospel on display. You're going to come and see King Jesus on display. His presence is with the Israelites. People have to come see it, okay? That didn't work out so well. So then solution number two is what is roaring on the scene when we pick up the gospels, okay? This is the good news. It's the proclamation of Jesus as God and king, as the high priest who makes the sacrifice and as the king himself. So Jesus' blood sacrifice now solved the issue of proximity, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies. The veil is torn, split in two. We now get to enter into the Holy of Holies, which usually killed people, through the blood of King Jesus. But also now, he's saying, I'm going to now make you the tabernacle. So now, I'm inside of you, and wherever you go, if you stomp down this street as a believer, in theory, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and being filled with the Holy Spirit you now are not only a dwelling place for the presence of the Most High God, but you actually carry the rule and reign of King Jesus himself. Make sense? Now it's a go and show. He's sending us. So if we scatter this room, wherever the believers go, God's kingdom and rule and reign is going with it. Right? Number three might be my favorite that I didn't do, I haven't emphasized as much lately, but then there's the third solution, which is the final verdict and a restoration of Eden, okay? Some of us maybe think like, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and float up on the clouds. Did you know, Scripture actually says from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 and 22, go read it. It's actually a bringing back of Eden itself. He says the old heaven and the old earth are going to pass away, and behold, I am going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And those that have their citizenship in my kingdom will dwell inside the walls of a new Jerusalem and the new kingdom, and we will rule and reign with God himself. We will not need lights because the glory of God himself will illuminate everything, and we won't need tabernacles because we will be standing in the midst of his glory and won't have to worry about tabernacles, blood sacrifices, anything. It is the perfection that was meant and intended for Genesis 1, restored in Revelation 22. That kind of is exciting, right? Like, we don't have to fear death because now I get to partake in the new kingdom, which, by the way, if you're not a citizen of the king, you won't partake in it. You're going to be on the outside, and it's not going to be good, okay? Does that make sense? So what is the proclamation of Jesus? Again, Jesus the king. I just kind of, this is, honestly, a lot of this is from the Apostles' Creed. Um, but Jesus, who is he? He preexisted with the Father. He took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. He died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to many. He is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. You need to understand that one. And he will come again as judge. Okay? There is only one fitting response to King Jesus. And that is to give your allegiance. Okay? And we see in the scriptures 
that this really is embodied with like three different ways, and we can't isolate any one of them out in particular. But when people came into allegiance with the king, they, one, mentally understood and agreed with it. They have to come to a mental understanding and they have to agree with it. It cannot be left there, okay? Number two, they confessed with their mouth and made a verbal proclamation of their allegiance to Jesus as king. And then number three, they embodied their loyalty to Jesus as king. Meaning, I used this example the other day, when I meet my wife and say, hey, I mentally agree she's going to be a good fit. I've come to that knowledge, right? She's going to be a great wife. I agree. I'm in agreement. I think she'd be great. Number two, what do you do? You stand on a wedding altar and we what? Proclaim our vows and say, I declare I will confess my love to you. I will, you know, forsaking all others, all the things that we do, we're confessing it on the altar. If I walk off the wedding altar and cheat on her every single day, am I actually fulfilling covenant? No. I can say all I want. She'd be great. Yeah, love you. I'm in covenant. I don't actually believe that. If I'm not forsaking every other lover, I'm actually breaking the covenant that I'm proclaiming with my mouth, right? And so this is what embodied loyalty is. It is it's not perfection. It doesn't mean I'm a perfect husband and I'm always going to do things right or that I have to do a checklist every day in order to actually be in right standing with my wife. No, but we all know the difference between that and me being, dis, me, me, uh, being disloyal to my wife right? I'm walking out my covenant to her every single day by being loyal to her, by loving her, by pursuing her. Amen? So, and the result is our justification, which allows the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God dwells with us. We partake in his kingdom, and we are empowered to spread his kingdom here in this life, and then we will dwell with him and partake in the final kingdom when the new heaven and earth are established in the age to come. Thanks for hanging with me. I know that might have been a lot, but frankly, we need to hear this over and over and over and over again, right? CJ, what do you got? Well, I just want to do just a, a follow-up. Um, uh, the, the gospel, obviously, uh, being preached. Um, the, uh, another important part, obviously, what Nick just talked about is our response. Um, and then we got to ask ourselves, well, what is the most proper response and I'll, I've, been, I've been saying this since the Lord gave this to me, and I'll repeat it again. Um, but it said, I, I wrote down here, I think the only appropriate response to a God who gave us everything is in return, give him everything, every aspect of our life. And so our, our, the, the response to the full gospel, when you understand, is one, counting the cost, and two, understanding that although it will cost you, you know, it is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift, but at the same time, it's also hard because, like, I feel like we, we've done people uh, a disservice by not explaining to them the cost uh, because the cost of receiving is actually the cost of, of giving up everything, uh, your life. It'll cost you your life. Um, and so it's important to understand that, that when receiving and responding to God and responding to the gospel, responding to the word, it will require something. It will require your, your life. Uh, your loyalty, everything, to lay it down. And so I, I, I always want to read uh, Mark 4. Can I read Mark 4 real quick? I want to read Mark 4 because um, I feel like this is what really um, kind of solidified my, my faith and understanding where I want to be in my response with the Lord. And if you guys want to turn to Mark 4 real quick, we'll just start at uh, verse 13. So this is the parable of the four soils, for those who don't know. 
Mark 4.13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. So some of you guys are going to go out and when you evangelize, you're sowing word. You're sowing uh, the word of God. So some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes, takes away the word that was sown in them immediately. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And yet others like the seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. And so in verse 24 it says, Consider carefully what you hear. And so I want you guys to understand that as, as, as the word is sown, not just uh, as, as we preach the gospel, but even today as you're receiving the word, um, you're going to fall into four categories. So you're, you're going to end up in one of these possibly. Obviously, which one do you want to be? You want to be the good soil, right? You want to receive the word. It says for good soil, it says they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. They hear it, they receive it, they accept it, and they produce something from it. And so that's where we want to be. We don't, there's the seed that is sown and we're, we're distracted. There's a seed that is sown where we receive it with joy. I see this all the time is that there's an initial excitement. But then because we don't take roots, because we don't dig down deep, then when the cares of this world or the things and the distractions come, we're easily washed away. And so what I, what I don't want for, for you guys and I don't want for the body of Christ anymore is as we preach these gospels and as we do follow up is that, that we have to understand that there's a, that when we accept Jesus or when we're living for him, that there's actually a responsibility placed on us to guard the seed that is sown. The seed that you receive and the seed that you're also throwing out to people is that we have to tell them, one, the cost, and two, that there's a responsibility. That when you become a believer, you just don't go sit on the bench. But God calls us all to get up and actually participate in what is going on. In Ephesians 5, it talks about the fivefold ministry. It's saying that we are um, equipping people for what? The works of the ministry, not just for us to come in here and consume, 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 but for you, every single one of you guys, that you're now enrolled into an army and that you're now in the game. God does not call any of us to be bench warmers. And so there is a response of action. We're not saved by works, but our works will confirm our confessions. Amen? So. It's a gospel of faith. Faith is what... Abraham was counted as righteousness, right? Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. It's faith. It's the faith of the woman who touched his garment that made her in right standing, right? So, gospel of the kingdom. Let's partake in the kingdom, right? Like, wrap your heads around that. Jesus and the kingdom that he was spreading. We get to partake in that kingdom. If that doesn't get you excited, 
I don't know what does, right? A heavenly kingdom invading earth. It's a, it's a now and a future kingdom. We see it now and it will be a, a kingdom that we will partake in later. It's a now and a, a different thing. Right now, we can partake in the kingdom. So I want to I wanna stomp on down to Teresa and Larry's. Um, I want to sing some hymns. Doxology came to mind. Uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. You guys probably know the rest of it, but simple. Um, the, uh, the, is it Agnes? Agnes Day, yeah, yeah. The holy, uh, you are holy, Lord God Almighty, worthy is the lamb, that one. Um, it's another one that comes to mind. Uh, so, three, three groups here that maybe I want to I pray before we go out, okay, for the empowerment of the Spirit. Um, I want some people singing on the front lawn, okay? Um, I think maybe Trev, maybe grab a person or two to actually be, I don't want to like invade their house, okay? But grab a person or two to go in, grab the oil, let's actually pray over them, anoint their home. Um, but group on the lawn, uh, I want some evangelists knocking on some doors, inviting people in, okay? Uh, and then I also want a group, I know some people like maybe physically can't walk down there or different things. Uh, I also think having a group interceding here, um, but hear me out, this is not the, I don't want this to be the cop-out group, okay? Does that make sense? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't want this to be the, oh, I'm really uncomfortable doing number one or number two, so I just feel All of a sudden you become to, an intercessor. Yeah, all of a sudden, I've, I've never been an intercessor before in my life, but man, the anointing's hitting me. Uh, so... All that to say, like, we need people here, too. I'm not, I'm not going to, if you feel the Lord saying, hey, intercede here, intercede here. Hey, there, but, there's, there's some people uh, that came in late. Do you want to explain again, like, what we're, why we're doing this? Yes. Larry and Teresa, members of the body, been here a long time. Larry's had cancer for many years. He is, uh, cancer's not doing so well right now. So he's back at home. Um, we're going to fill the neighborhood with revival and praying. They live, like, right They live, right like, right down here. the street here. Yeah, right down so we're going to walk. We're going to march on down. We're going to stomp the kingdom of God right on their front lawn. We're going to sing out, and uh, we're going to fill this neighborhood with praise, okay? Um, so if we could just maybe even just get a, a small group. I don't want, like, everybody back here, okay? But a small group. Yes, take, oh, yes, thank you. The communion. I want to take communion on the front lawn, okay? Uh, and bring them communion as well, all right? Uh, let's just, can we <clears throat> real quick take two minutes, pray about what the Lord has for you. Um, can we stand and just take a few minutes? I don't want, I never want to rush prayer, but, uh, so we can get out there. Can we just out loud, maybe even one by one, whatever, but just let's pray out an empowerment of the Holy Spirit as we go. Kingdom of God, would you go with us, empower us, anoint us, open doors, ask for open opportunities. Uh, let's just do it together. So that way we're not doing more time. Just join with me as we pray together. But Holy Spirit, would you open doors, <clears throat> the doors that get knocked on, Lord, the invitations that are offered? Would you soften hearts now, Jesus? Would you soften hearts of the neighborhood? Would you heal Larry's body, Lord, in Jesus' name? Would you extend the years of his life? Would you extend the ministry that he has? Would today be a proclamation to the neighborhood of, of your goodness, Lord, of your holiness? I pray a holy noise would be lifted up out of that lawn. Join with me. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying.
kingdom of God, would you go forth? Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. And it can be a, for those of you knocking on doors, it can be a simple invitation. What an easy, I said this before, but in case you weren't here, what an easy way to invite someone. Say, hey, your neighbor, it's Larry and Teresa Casper, in case you don't know them. Larry and Teresa Casper. You know, it'd be like, hey, that, that house right there, your neighbor, man, they're going through some health stuff. He's got cancer. It's, it's not good. We're just, we're from the church. We're going to, we're asking the Lord for a miracle. We're praising on his front lawn just to bless them and encourage them. Would you join us? <laughs> And then, to me, doors are open. Like, hey, do you pray? <laughs> like, do you know, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he can do this? We, we're just, we believe it. And opportunities and open doors for gospel, okay? Um, so, Larry and Teresa Casper. Don't forget it, all right? Um, all right. Let's do it. Let's go. Uh, we do have a baptism. Who's getting baptized? Yes? Okay. We're going we're gonna to come back. Uh, let's just... We're not going to stop if God's moving, but let's tentatively plan as far as the baptism. So we'll, we'll come back, those that can, at, uh, in half an hour, 1135. We'll come back and we will baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? It's going to be really cold. I hope you don't mind. Like, really cold. <laughs> so, all right. Amen. Let's go. Hey, Trev, can you, uh, can you lead us?